Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Yo, yo, good morning. Well, what's good in the hood, Epiphany Church? It is so good to be gathered with God's people celebrating the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me say it differently. It's good to be virtually gathering with God's people. Uh, We've been virtually gathering now for several months since March. And, uh, you know, it's it's a unique way for us to gather. But nevertheless, I'm grateful that we aren't uh, so disconnected that we have not been able to bring worship to you and bring the word of God to you. It is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 that says, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, But then it goes on to say, but encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. And one of the greatest encouragements is when I see you guys' name pop up in the chat room. Speaking of the chat room, I have full access to see the chat room. I know I say that all the time and sometimes I'm not engaging, but shout out to Keisha. I see my beautiful wife, Ty, is on there. And Sherry, I see you on here. It is so good uh, to see you guys' names. And hopefully I'll get to see some of you guys uh, soon. Well, we got a lot of work to do, and and honestly, I I am not. This is probably going to be the shortest uh, of all of our Sundays. I am not going to be before you long, and the reason I'm not going to be before you long is because we have some other stuff going on today that I I really want you to to get up, brush your teeth, shower. Uh, Let me say that again, brush your teeth and shower, and then uh, head out so that we can uh, connect later on this afternoon. Why don't you grab your Bibles, go back to the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel today book of 1 Samuel. Shout out to Brad and, and, and Gabe and all of the crew that is here, Josh and, and, and the band. And I'm so grateful for everybody that puts their hand to the plow every Sunday morning to ensure that we're able to bring you, uh, to bring you uh, worship. Uh, a couple of things I want to lay before you before I dig into the text. Uh, number one, this afternoon, we are meeting, some of us are meeting together. If you registered for Church in the Park, uh, we are meeting at two o'clock and I am really excited to see you. If you have not registered, uh, we will be doing this again, uh, but registration is closed for today. And the reason we're closing it is because we're trying to keep it intimate. We don't want this to be a super spreader or a MAGA rally. That was a little shot and I, I didn't mean to, to slip that one out, but... Uh, We want to just gather responsibly. Uh, As a leader and a pastor, I have uh, the responsibility to make sure that you guys are uh, constantly being careful. And so I don't want to gather us irresponsibly. So uh, just a few people will be there today. Uh, Bring your blanket, bring your mask, bring your hand sanitizer, uh, and certainly be prepared to connect and be prepared to worship. It will not be a lot of bells and whistles. Uh, we, We will not have a whole production. It's just an intimate time of fellowship. It's an intimate time of us being able to connect. And uh, many of you have been asking for different ways that we can connect. This is one of the ways. And so if you haven't uh, connected with our church uh, throughout the year, man, and you're, you're coming today, man, please love on somebody today. Be distant, but make sure they feel uh, the love, even though we're not able to hug and, and be really affectionate. All right. The other thing I want to mention is, man, we are drawing close to this election. And I just I don't know how you feel politically. It's not my my goal or even my desire to tell you who to vote for. That's not what my responsibility is. But I do feel a strong responsibility to encourage you to be registered to vote. I am hoping that you are registered. The deadline is coming up. We were actually literally 30 days out from the election. 
I think you have a couple more weeks until uh, registration is closed for you to register to vote. Uh, mail-in ballots, I think that's at the end of the month. You can do that all the way up until, I think it's like October 27th. Don't quote me on it, uh, but you should look it up. You should know all of that stuff. You should know where your polling station is. And all of that is important, man. You know, 1965, especially as African-Americans, we got the right to vote. And, you know, we uh, un- unfortunately, we've treated... The, our participation in democracy very lax. We we'll, we'll let the co- the couch vote. We'll sit on the couch and we won't we won't vote. And I, I've been voting for over two decades now, and uh, I think it's you know really important. Even you don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to agree uh, with the, this country's history, which most of us don't. But I do think that because we are a part of this nation, what does Jesus say? Give to Caesar what Caesar's. In other words, submit to the laws of the, of the land that you are in. And so in order to submit to those laws, it's good to put people in place that are actually going to shape the laws, people that are closer to your uh, biblical conviction. So anyway, let me get off my soapbox. Register to vote. Uh, speaking to uh, uh, voting, we, um, we're in a four-week series now. We're calling it Rigged. And we're trying to make a play. We're trying to make it a little bit culturally relevant and make a play on some of the stuff that we've been hearing in uh, in the news. And uh, I wholeheartedly agree that the election is always rigged because God always wins it every time. It, whether you know it or not, uh, the candidate may not be the candidate of our choice or the candidates of our choice, but nevertheless, uh, God's sovereignty and God's will. You know, there's a scripture in Proverbs 21 that says, that the heart of the king is like water in God's hand and he directs it on where it should go. And so um, we're going to be, for the next four weeks, we're going to be laying, uh, just looking at the sovereignty of God, man's responsibility, because sometimes we think God's sovereignty negates our responsibility, but it's, it's actually the opposite. God's sovereignty and his will is usually accomplished through our participation. And so I'm encouraging all of us to prepare our hearts for whatever the election, however it lands in, um, in November, November 3rd. All right, let's get to it. It's time for the word of God. Uh, let somebody know we're live and we're, we're in the word here today. First Samuel 8. Man, I'm going to be really ambitious. I won't be before you long, but I am going to read this whole chapter. So y'all bear with your boy as we work through uh, this uh, profound story says this, verse one, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel and the name of the second Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after gain. Please underline this phrase. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Verse six, but this thing displeased Samuel and they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, watch this, obey the voice of the people. And all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and forsaking uh, and serving other gods, they also doing to you. 
and then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall rule over them. Watch this. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. And he said to them, these will be the way of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to be chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders, thousands and commanders of fifties, and some will plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters and perfumers and cook to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olives and orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you shall be his slave. That, that sounds like the IRS got that one. That, that's called a tax. In the day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. Just keep your, your, your finger right there in verse 20, or if, if you're scrolling, just kind of pause there in verse 20. I'm not going to preach this, but I think it is so comical to me that they respect Samuel and they love God. And God is showing them through their prophet that they respect. God is showing them what all these things that the king is going to do. He's going to do all of these things. And it's so interesting. At the end of Samuel's speech, the people say, no, still give us a king. And it's so interesting because after he says, give us a king, verse 20, it says that they be like other nations and the king may judge and go out before us to fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all these words of the people, he repeated thus in the ear of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice. It is so interesting to me that God tells Samuel to give them what they want. And many times we think God giving us is a blessing, but sometimes God giving you is actually a punishment. I'm going to put it this way. God says here, I'm going to punish them with them, experience, them, them experiencing getting their way, getting what they want. How many times do we think that God giving us everything we want? You know, God spoiling you is not a blessing. God giving you everything you want is not a blessing. Sometimes it's actually the opposite. It's God turning you over to do whatever it is you want because he knows the depth of your heart. I'll end here, verse 21. When Samuel heard these words, people of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. I I wanna preach today from the topic entitled, put God on the ballot. Could you type that in for me? And I'm watching the chat room, put God on the ballot. In fact, when you type that in, erase it real quick before before you hit send and put it in all caps, put God on the ballot. Let me, uh, let me, let me go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do trust you. We trust you that you are going to speak to us today simply because every week you speak to us. And so, Father, would you point our hearts today as you unpack this Old Testament story? Would you point us to Jesus? He's here. He is in this passage. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would point us to the work of our King, Jesus Christ. 
Father, help me to be faithful to this text. Help me to walk through it carefully. Help me to walk through it faithfully. Give me the words, oh God, that encourage your people. Shoot, give me the words that encourage myself today. It's in Christ's name I give all glory. Amen. Put God on the ballot. Shout out to y'all. I see y'all throwing it up in there in all caps. Some of y'all disobedient. Y'all put exclamation points. I didn't say all that. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's all good. Putting God on the ballot. Well, well, we are moving closer and closer and closer to this election. It, it's, it's vastly approaching. And democracy has actually given us two candidates, really three candidates if you count the green tea uh, party candidate, Howie Hawkins. Nobody, you probably don't even know who he is, but he's actually, he's actually on the ballot. Uh, but in reality, God has given us really two candidates to choose from. And here's the reality. Whether you like them or not, they're the best that you and I have in terms of leading this country. To be honest, I don't think, I told you I've been voting now for over two decades, and I don't think that there is an election that I've ever voted in where I wholeheartedly agreed with every candidate. Never. And there, there are presidential candidates I really, really like. Number 44, I really like him, but I didn't agree with everything. I don't agree with everything every presidential candidate lays forth and when they lay out their agenda. However, even though I don't agree with everything that every presidential candidate has ever laid out, I do agree that I think leadership is important. Let me say that again. I think leadership, especially over a nation, I'm talking leadership from the most minor level, whether it's a business, whether it's a leadership in a family, even though that's not really minor, but leadership in the home, leadership at work, uh, leadership in our politics, I do think leadership is important. I understand the importance of someone casting vision. I understand the importance of someone balancing the national budget. I understand the importance of someone passing legislation and signing into law legislation. I understand the importance of protecting the nation from a domestic terrorist and foreign uh, terrorism. The only problem I have is when I look around at culture, I'm a little perturbed and somewhat concerned by the leadership that I actually see. When I look around at culture, I'm, I'm a little worried and I'm a little vexed in my spirit at the leadership that is before us, whether it's politicians that focus more on self-interest and protecting their financial nest, or whether it's bank CEOs that discriminate against black people and say stuff like, there are no qualified black people to sit on the boards. Or whether it's attorney generals that are more interested in being accepted by majority culture than they actually are pursuing justice. I just want to make sure I slip this name in, Breonna Taylor. The leadership before us leaves me unnerved. The leadership before us often leads me concerned, but even though I'm concerned and even though I'm a little worried about what the culture has produced in terms of leaders, despite all of that, deep inside of all of us is the desire to be led. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you hate the word submission. I don't care if you really don't like authority. Deep inside of all of us, there is something that's deep in us that longs to be led for leadership. And sometimes that desire to be led will lead us to seek leadership that is unfit. Sometimes it will lead us to seek leadership that is unhealthy. Sometimes it will lead us to seek leadership that is not God's will. At this point in our passage, Israel, God's chosen people have been led by some great men. 
I mean, if you go back to Genesis 1, you're talking Moses has been a great leader. A Judah has been a great leader. Joshua, read Joshua. Joshua, had the, the one who brought them into the promised land, has been a phenomenal leader. But none of these three leaders I just named led as king. They all led as great leaders. The closest thing Israel has ever had to a king is the prophet Samuel, but he's merely, he holds two offices, judge and prophet. He is not a king. In fact, I go so far as to say when you search through all of scripture, this is a little deep, but forgive me, search through all of scripture. You'll never find anybody that's a prophet, priest, and king. There's only one that is a prophet, a priest, and a king. So Samuel here really is operating as a prophet, and he's operating here as a judge. But you'll, you'll never see uh, any anybody hold all three of those offices. Our passage this morning will let us in on how Israel is now desiring, after all of these years of faithfulness by God, they are now they are now trying to dethrone God. Israel, Israel is now at the place that they're tired of the leadership that God has given them. They literally want to take God off the ballot and they're asking Samuel to give them a king to rule over them, despite the fact that the king that has ruled over them has been God. And so now God is probably sitting in heaven scratching his head going, how in the world do you want to dethrone me? How do you want to take me off of my leadership role in your life and actually get to a human king? And so this is the first time, this is the transition of Israel into the kings. Everybody will know that the first king that they get is King Saul, but this is how King Saul is established through the disobedience of a, a nation by the name of Israel. I have three points today. They're going to pop up on the screen. Three points for why you should put God on the ballot. Here are the three points I have. Point number one. Point number one of why you should put God on the ballot is because humans are inherently flawed. Let me say that again. Point number one of why God needs to be put on the ballot is because human beings, anybody you vote for is inherently flawed. Point number two of why God needs to be put on the ballot is because God alone fights my battles. That's right in the passage. And then finally, the final reason why God needs to be put on the ballot is because God gives. Those are three reasons I got. Let me go over them real quick. Because humans are inherently flawed, because God alone fights my battle, and because God gives. Those are the reasons why you should put God on the ballot. Let's deal with the first one. Humans are inherently flawed. Look at verse one. Hope y'all rocking with me. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel and his secondborn Abijah. And they were judges over Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways. Notice his is not capital. So this is not God's ways. They didn't walk in their father Samuel ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. From the onset, we are, we are introduced really to two different aspects, two different facts of this passage. Number one, your boy Samuel is now old. Samuel has given his life to this nation. Samuel has voted uh, to, to be patriotic toward the nation of Israel. Samuel has been a faithful servant of the Lord and he has served this nation. And I love this because what you see now is now Samuel knows he's old and he understands that it's time to transition power. I wish someone else in power knew that it was time to transition power. They understand that his leadership has ran its course. 
And, and some of you, you know, sometimes we can get stuck in being leaders forever. And really, you know, all of our leadership really does have an expiration date. All of us at some point are not going to be able to connect with the generation that's before us. At some point, you got to know when to transition the power. Samuel is now old and it's time for, tra- uh, for transition. And so Israel is for the first time is now in a transition season. So the Bible says here that they come to him. They say, yo, yo, Samuel, I don't know if you feeling it in your body yet, but you're old. You've been serving for a while. That's the first fact. Second fact that we get in the passage is that Samuel is a godly leader. Even while they're trying to fire Samuel, they give him a compliment. Even while they're saying, Samuel, you're old, it's time to move on. They also say, your sons aren't walking in your ways, affirming that Samuel was a godly leader. In fact, earlier this week, I searched through all of scripture, every place that Samuel was, I searched to try to see if I could find any type of sin or disobedience in his life. But I never, when I searched Samuel, he was a godly man. That there was no points where I saw Samuel doing things that he shouldn't have done besides one bad decision. There, here's one bad decision. It's right in this passage. He put his sons as judges, trying to recreate a dynasty, trying to, to make sure that legacy was happening through his family. And that is never what the judges were supposed to be. That is never what the prophets were supposed to be. This is not a monarchy. God appoints who he wants to appoint, but here you have Samuel now trying to put his sons in place and the contrast between character, between Samuel and his son, stay with me, couldn't be more drastic. There's a contrast between their moral corruption and their moral integrity couldn't be more clear. And what you see happening here is that when it comes to putting God on the ballot, really what you're saying is put character on the ballot. Let me say that again. When I say put God on the ballot, I am not telling you to go into the voting booth and write God in the blank space. I'm telling you to vote character because oftentimes we dismiss character. Listen, any leader that if you are aspiring to be a leader, there has to be character as a main component of who you are. I'll say it this way. Character is the first component of leadership, not competency, not skill not gifting. Those things fall into place, but the first sign of a good leader is character. I don't care if it's teachers. I don't care if it's police officers. I don't care if it's pastors. I don't care if it's politicians. If you are a leader, character matters. Can you type that in for me? Just type that in. Character matters. Character matters. Because one of the biggest misconceptions about leadership is that we can lead despite having moral failures. Is that we we can lead despite having character issues. But one of the main disqualifiers in my book on leadership is when you got bad character. I, 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 I like to look at it like this. I personally would choose the person that has high character and low competency because I can train competency. I can't train character. Then the person that has high competency and no character, because here's the reality, your gift will get you in the door, but it is your character that will sustain you there. Your gift might get you before great people, but it is your character and your reputation that keeps you there. There is not enough skill to compensate for bad character. There is not enough gifting to compensate for moral corruption. I don't care how dope you are as a leader. If you got bad character, you are disqualified in my book because character matters. They're like, yo, Samuel, you've been killing the game when it comes to character, but them sons of yours... That, that Joel, that, that Abijah, they, they pervert justice. 
They, they, love, they love money. They, they love gain. They, they, are, they don't walk in your ways you cannot overlook. Let me say my, for me. I personally cannot overlook a man that is bragging about grabbing women in their private areas and then calling it locker room talk. Listen, I'm a man that has been in the locker room. We don't talk like that. It's not locker room talk. It's really sexual assault. I cannot overlook a man that is not willing to denounce racism on the spot. It takes you 24 hours to say that's not what I meant. No, no. And you do it over and over again. That's a lack of character. I cannot overlook a man that's willing to scam the system, even though you're a billionaire and you pay $750 in taxes. That is character flaws. That is character issues. And the first thing I'm looking at is not your policies, it's your character. Now, I don't hear me to say that the contrast is even better. I'm just saying, when I look at the ballot, I am first looking for character. These, these, the, these people, these elders in Israel, the first thing they looked at was character. They didn't say, tell me what Joel and Abijah would bring in terms of a political agenda. How will they handle foreign policy? How will they handle health care? That, that's not what they're asking. They said, them boys is corrupt. And so the first sign of a good leader is character. Listen, let me put it on me. Y'all, y'all would never, y'all, y'all would never be, all of y'all would be off the live in 2.5 seconds if y'all last night was driving down Fulton Street, saw me coming out of strip club with a 40. With a brown paper bag, because you know it's not, a, it's not really a 40 unless it's still got that brown wrap paper bag on it. And I had edibles in my hand, some weed, and I was coming out the, the strip club, and you piped onto the live, and I said, open up the first Samuel 8. Listen, my character has now disqualified me from getting respect from you, and it should. But the problem is we're willing to give so many other leaders a pass. Listen, I don't care how great your policies are if your character is corrupt. It's the same way with theology. Because a lot of times, you know, one of the struggles I had, particularly with white evangelicalism as it relates to seminaries, is, you know, sometimes I looked at the required reading and it was all these slave owners. And, and I'm like, I can't, I can't read a slave owner because you had bad moral character, even though your theology was good, but your theology is thrown out the window. You would not listen to me unpack the Bible today if you saw me having moral corruption last night. It should dis qualify me. And so your character absolutely matters. And some of you are being called to leadership. Some of you are trying to be entrepreneurs. Some of you are moving up the corporate ladder. Some of you are, are running companies. Some of you are trying to go into ministry. Some of you are trying to be police officers and politicians and go ahead, praise God, do what God has called you to do, but don't forget to bring your character with you. I don't care what God is calling you to do. I care that you remain having character. And the true mark of good character is that you have character when you can get away with it and you still choose to be faithful to God. See, because it's one thing to have character in front of people, but it's another thing to have character in private. You got to have character in your thoughts. You have to have character in your heart. You have to have character in your actions. You have to have character in your speech. Every joke ain't funny. Some stuff I got to be like, ah, I can't do, I can't tap into that one because my character won't allow me. And so the Bible says here in verse number three that his sons did not walk in his ways, Samuel ways, but they turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Taking, taking bribes means they gave people political favors for money. 
They also perverted justice. Perverting justice means that they were full of injustice. And Samuel's sons were disqualified from leaderships because they lacked moral character. Yet Samuel has made them a part of his succession plan. I think one of the only bad decisions that Samuel has ever made was this decision right here. It was not God inspired. It was Samuel inspired. And so he's now trying to get his sons on the ballot and now the people are like, ah, I can't, we, we can't deal with that. Listen, when it comes to, to the election in, 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 uh, in November, there's a couple things you should know. Number one, personally, Trump and Biden ain't the savior of the world. Let, let me just, I just want to be clear. Trump, Biden has issues too. I mean, that 94 crime bill was problematic to black families. So many people got locked up, especially black men got locked up for minor offenses. But Trump is no better in my, in my opinion. I'm not a fan of him either. But that's why I say, put God on the ballot. You need to get God's character on the ballot and say, God, out of these characters, out of these two politicians, who is it that's going to faithfully pursue your will? And when it comes to passing legislation So put God on the ballot I I have friends that say I'm a one issue voter But basically if you pro-life Then I'm voting for you But really they say They're meaning pro-birth I want to vote for the person That cares about Ahmaud Arbery As well as the womb I'm pro-life womb to the tomb I'm pro-life all the way Until you go home to be with the Lord If you've given your life to the Lord I don't have the ability to simply be pro-birth I need to be pro-life I need to care about life And so when it comes to character And putting God on the ballot That means I have to look more, more than just one issue I have to look comprehensively at who's at the ballot. Okay, reason number one to put God on the ballot is because humans are inherently flawed. You will not vote for a perfect candidate, but there is a perfect God that governs every nation and and is sovereign over every nation. Reason number two is because God alone fights my battles. Look at verse 19. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said to They said, no, but there should be a king over us that we may be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us, watch this, and fight our battles. Wait, wait a second. Has Israel fell and bumped their head? Israel really thinks that they want to get a king over them to fight their battles as though God has not been fighting their battles? This is the same God that literally led them out of Egypt that crushed the most massive army, which is the Egyptian army. This is the God that beat the Egyptians like they stole something. This is the God that in the previous chapter literally just beat the Philistines. When you talk about a king fighting your battle, there has been a king of kings that's been fighting their battle. And so now they are looking for government to fight their battles where only God can actually fight your battle. They don't actually want someone to fight their battles. They just want somebody that represents fighting battles. They, they want somebody that is tangible. God was already fighting their battles. And I don't know about you, but when I vote, I don't vote for somebody that's going to be the savior of my battles. God has fought the battle for me. God fights the battle of injustice. It is God that fights the battle of racism. Listen, I need you to have you an agenda for the race issues in this country, but it is God that fights my battle. I don't care who is in office. Listen, Christianity has flourished under corrupt leadership for years. 
It doesn't matter who's on the ballot. It is God who fights my battle of corruption. Let me put a little Bible here. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14 says it this way. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Let me give one more. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God fights my battles. God is my savior. God is my warrior. Stop looking for humans to do only what God can do. And here's the thing about God fighting my battles. You don't want to be on the opposite end of God fighting my battle. You, you, you don't want to do that because Galatians chapter two, verse 15, it said this way. He disarms the rulers and puts them to open shame by triumphing over them. He doesn't just beat you. He takes your weapons and beats you with your weapons. He disarms the rulers. He disarms the authorities and he puts them to open shame. God always fights my battles. Who, who am I talking to right now that you're in the midst of a battle right now, a personal battle? Don't look to the IRS to fight that battle. Don't look to the presidential election. Don't look to the local elections. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm just saying you have to have your trust and faith in a higher place. It is not men that fight my battles. It is God who fights my battles. I don't look to the government to save me. I, 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 just, I just don't. I don't, I, I don't look to Biden nor Trump to save me. I look to God to save me. I look to God to fight my battles. Number one reason why you need to put God on the ballot because humans are inherently flawed. They took bribes and they perverted justice and they loved gain. They did not walk in the ways of Samuel. Number two, the reason why I put God on the ballot is because he alone fights my battle. Finally, the reason that I put God on the ballot is because God gives. Now, there's something so interesting. Stay with me here for a second. There's something so interesting that happens in this chapter. Let me go through the story again. You have the elders coming to Samuel and saying, look, you old, we need, we need some new leaders and your sons ain't the leaders. So you, you need to appoint a king over us. Samuel is upset. He goes to God. He's like, God, you hear what they're saying? God is like, give them over to it. Let them have a king. But then God does something interesting. He says, let them have a king. But he almost, it's almost like he gives them one more chance. He says, but I need you to warn them first. Before they pick a king, Warn them what the king is going to do. Verse 10, so Samuel told all of the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. And he said to them, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now watch what the king's going to do. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be horsemen and to run before chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow the grounds to reap the harvest and to make implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take his, uh, your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to the officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and females servants to be the best uh, of your young men and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you shall be slaves. And in that day, you'll cry out to me. Said so Bible says, but God will not answer. I don't know if y'all peep this, but over and over again, what you see happening through verses 10 through 18 is when God warns them, he simply says, the person you are putting is going to take from you. In fact, he doesn't say at one time, here's a melodic line. He says it six times. 
He says it in verse 11. He says he will take. He says it in verse 13. He will take. He says it in verse 14. He says it in verse 15. He says it in verse 16. He says it in verse 17. Read through it. He will take. He will take. He will take. Most kings are takers. Most most kings don't want to serve. They want to be served. Most kings don't want to give. They want to take. Israel wants a king. They must realize that he's going to be a taker and that they will be slaves to whatever he says to do. Consider with me how expensive this government that they are asking for. They're asking for a government that's going to take a tenth of their grain, a tenth of their flocks, literally going to take the sons and daughters out of the house in order to serve the king. He literally says the king that you are appointing is going to appoint taxes over you. Listen, that that's one of the reasons if you pay taxes, that that's one of the reasons we are paying taxes now is because there is a leader over the nation that appoints what the tax rate is. And here's the crazy thing about the IRS. They don't care nothing about your attitude when they take it. The IRS is not sitting in D.C. going, oh, my gosh, do you see how upset she was? They take anywhere from 10 to 37 percent and don't even ask you. Here's the crazy thing. When it comes to God, God simply says, give me a little bit of your money. The IRS says, I'm not even giving you an option. I'm taking it. And you try not to pay it as tax evasion unless you were number 45. Anyway, earthly kings take. But this is why I said the reason you put God on the ballot is because even though earthly kings take, a king of king gives. God doesn't take, God gives. I got a slip Bible here. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. John chapter three, verse 16 uh, tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave, not take, that took, but he gave. John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they shall not perish. Earthly kings come to be served and to take, but the king of king doesn't come to be served but to serve and to give. There is such a difference in how God leads his people and how earthly kings lead their people. Earthly kings simply want to take from you and God is like, nah, I want to give to you. What do I want to give to you? I want to give eternal life. I want to give to you so much that I'm willing to put myself on a cross in order to see you ransomed by God. Do you know what a ransom is? It is literally a price paid for the release of a captive. Jesus, the king, gets on the cross and reverses the cultural norm. What is the cultural norm? He will take. He will take. He will take. Jesus gets on the scene and says, now your boy don't want to take. I actually want to reverse it. I want to give. The greatest way that we see Jesus given is on the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the place where Jesus absorbed the wrath of God fully from you. This is the place where Jesus sits on the cross and that one sin that you are so ashamed of and you feel like has disqualified you from relationship with God. God is like, now nah, you're not disqualified. My son gave. He didn't take from you. He, he, don't, he don't want for there's nothing that you could bring to God that fulfills him. See, the king took a tenth of grain because it fulfilled him. He took the best of your sons and daughters because it fulfilled him. Jesus is like, there's nothing you bring to me that fulfills me. I am fulfilled in and of myself, but I'm so good that I want to give it to you. I want to give you eternal life. How do I give you eternal life? By getting on a cross and dying for you. I admonish you to vote your convictions. But as you vote your convictions, you need to understand that character has to be a conviction for you. 
You need to understand that you are voting for men that will take, period. Republican, Green Party, it doesn't matter. Democratic, they all take. But this is why we put our trust in God because it is God that gives. The reason you put Jesus on the ballot is because, or put God on the ballot is because humans are inherently flawed. The reason you put Jesus or God on the ballot is because God alone fights your battles. The reason I put God on the ballot is because he gives where everybody else takes. I don't know who it is that's like up in the air when it comes to politics right now. Some of you are literally watching the news while you're watching the sermon. So some of you, some of you right now are going, God, like this is the, this is the craziest election. So some of you are there right now and I get it. But Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. I, I got to live in this nation. So therefore I got to vote my convictions. And one of the greatest convictions I have is character. Also, I, I, I want to pray for somebody that has lacked character. You, you know it, you really haven't told anybody. You privately have lacked character. You call yourself a leader. But you didn't realize you thought leadership simply was gathering people and giving vision. God is like, no, leadership is so much more than that. That, That's not just leadership. Leadership is actually you as well having character. Who is it that's been lacking character? Who's really the Joel and Abijah of this text? Well, you perverted justice. Who, Who is it that's a Joel and Abijah of this text? Well, you didn't walk in the ways of Samuel, which was faithfulness. Who is it that publicly looks the part, but privately you've been struggling? I want to pray for you today. As the election draws near, Christians, I want you not to be afraid. In fact, do me a favor. This week, go through the rest of scripture and look at some of the bad leadership that was over over different nations. Look at the bad leadership that often perverted justice and yet Christianity continued to flourish all the way to the point where you're a Christian sitting here right now it's because Christianity did not fizzle out under bad leadership it continued to flourish father I pray for everybody that's on this live first there is somebody that does lack character their integrity isn't up to par there's a gap between what they say and do they say the right things let me say that different we say the right things But oftentimes our life doesn't line up. And so, Father, I pray for that person today. I pray that you would do a work in their heart and that they would realize even their private moments need to be filled with godly character. Would you put people around them, oh God, as they become leaders and bosses? Would you put people around them, oh God, that can help them walk in the ways of you? Father, I also pray, oh God, as we continue to search through the candidates before us, Father, I I would be remiss if I didn't pray that you would guide the hearts, even of evil men. I love the way Joseph said it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know how to take. You're so dope that you know how to take even bad leadership and accomplish your will. So, Father, I pray that you would do something amazing. I pray for some, some of the unjust laws and systematic racism. I pray that we would start to accomplish real Laws that, that really do help push equality. Pray for somebody today, oh God, that lacks trust, which I get it, man, lacks trust in this nation. 
We've seen the wickedness of this nation. Father, I pray, oh God, that you would guide us and that you would help us to have solace and faith in you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray that it would not return void. I pray that it would transform someone's life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Man, it's good hanging out with y'all today. I want to go back to what I said in the very beginning, which is register to vote. I, I, I say that with my chest. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mince words. I, I think it's so, so, so very important. I'm going to end here with this doxology. It's given to the Lord. Those of you who are hanging out at two o'clock, I can't wait to see y'all. Verse 24, now unto him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. I love y'all. Grace and peace.